come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I am your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Debbie. I'm your polter guide, Donna. And I'm your polter guide, Adrian, who is being very, very quiet because there's a child sleeping behind me. <laughs> and it is so nice to see everybody's faces. Yay! Yay! Good to see everybody. Yay! We're still uh, on, on Zoom. On- Social distancing. <laughs> yep. Because we're responsible and not assholes. So We remember doing the group projects. <laughs> Yes, yes, we do. All right. So this week we watched the 2018 film Mandy starring Nicolas Cage. And already I think we all have lots of opinions and thoughts about it. But let's let's go around. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Donna, since I see you first, what would you think? I hated this movie. <laughs> hated every frame of this movie, every moment in this movie. The first shot in this movie I liked was when the credits came up. <laughs> Debbie? I, I, okay, so I watched this last night. So last minute I was extremely tired and I'd had a few beers. There was a lot that I was like, What? But also, there's a lot about it that I like. And it kind of went off the rails. And I was kind of just like, you know what? I'm here for it. I'm just going to, yeah. I like. I think I might have liked it. I think I might have liked it. I am going to go back and watch it another time to confirm that, I guess. Adrian? I will never watch this again. Never, <laughs> ever. You couldn't pay me. I'm sorry. It's already been my turn. Adrian? I love this movie. Of course you do. <laughs> I, I think this movie is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a fan of this film either, Donna. So you and I, we are on the same page. Uh, I thought there was, I did think it was beautifully shot. I do think that, and I mean, there's other things we'll we'll definitely get into. But yeah, I wasn't a fan of this at all. And I didn't watch it late. I watched it Friday afternoon. Yeah, I'm just, (laughs) I'm not here for it. Sorry. (laughs) Y'all, I got a Marco Polo from Kenzie going... I think you were watching it at the time, weren't you? And you were yeah. like, just, Debbie, what am I watching? I don't know. <laughs> you did. Which you was did. very intriguing. I had to pause it at one point. I was like, okay, no, I don't know what is going on here. <laughs> it's yeah. not very often that Kenzie says, what am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> that was an experience. Now, for those of you that don't know what Mandy is about. Mandy is about the Hellraiser edition of Forged in Fire. Because apparently Nicolas Cage is a metal worker and knows how to make insane weapons. Listen, it doesn't matter what this movie is about. Just go take a whole bunch of drugs and then watch, I don't know, heavy metal. And you'll be fine. I I would have totally watched heavy metal. Uh, (laughs) Okay, but not to disagree with you, my Debbie, but our good, good buddies at IMDb, they say... This is about the enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their demon biker henchmen propelling a man into a spir- spir- spiraling, spiraling, surreal rampage of vengeance. 
Spilering is my new favorite word. <laughs> Spiler. I can't even say it. Like I, I can't. So my spilering. Spilering. I'm I'm all tongue tied here. All um, right. I just I just need a second to get that in my brain. So okay. Spilering. Excellent. Okay, Honestly, go ahead. We can't remember what the actual Down word is now. Come on, Don, say it. Spy, but it's it's spiral. the ing spiral spiral spiral. Oh, Spy- spiraling. spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. All right. Okay, so I guess let's uh let's. That's actually pretty accurate. I think I think that's the most accurate <laughs> that IMGP's ever been. They they have their moments of clarity. It's not often, but there are there are moments. All right, let's uh, let's get into it. The soundscape of this movie, yes, is absolute magnificence. I loved it. I would just listen to this movie, or like, like I I could just put this movie on in the background as like music. I mean, there are definitely some. I mean, the soundscape is good, and like the cinematography is fantastic. Like, I'm not completely anti this movie. I just didn't like it, but I did enjoy those things, and then. Basically, the scene change title cards. I really like those because it felt like a book. It felt those like, were hey, beautiful too. Yeah, like it felt like okay, I'm just starting this book and this is the next chapter. Like now that I dug, like I really dug that. What was your favorite one? Your favorite? Um, the one with the crystal mountain. That one, like, because it was all shadow mountains. It was all glittery. Yeah, yeah it was all glittery. Cause... I like the one with the veins all going. Oh, the final one that just said Mandy? Yeah. Yeah. The one that actually said the title of the movie. (laughs) Which had not appeared until that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one was pretty cool. So I feel like this movie is just that Margaret Atwood quote. or I don't know if it's a quote from her or what, but men are afraid women will laugh at them. Women are afraid men will kill them. It's true. There you go. It's that, but the movie. Yeah. And see, I'm not disagreeing, but as I watched this movie, all I could think of was all of those 80s over-the-top horror novels that Grady Hendrix talks about in his book Paperbacks from Hell that have the -the over-the-top covers and they're just equally gonzo inside. Like, to me, that is this movie. (laughs) It's like all of them blended into one. I was mainly um, just trying to count tropes in this movie bad bad tropes we'll start with fridging uh except it wasn't an off-screen death no Uh, but we definitely killed a female character in order to motivate a male character i disagree but the the main one that just stood out to me and made me go what the actual fuck was the magical negro remember i didn't create that phrase spike lee created that phrase the dude, the black dude, the only black dude who exists in all of the world, who Bill just, Duke. Who just Duke. appears, he just appears, and then provides our hero with a weapon and valuable information, and then poofs back out of existence. I was just like, seriously? I disagree with the fridging. Okay. All right. I feel like this is a movie about Mandy's death. It's she's not dying to further Nicolas Cage's character because there's no furthering to be done after she's dead. He is utterly destroyed. He's as a character, he's done. And that is and, and Mandy, even though the the cults and 
I forget his first name, but Sand. I keep wanting to say Julian Sands, but that's a person. Jeremiah. 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 Um, Even though Jeremiah did everything he could to take away Mandy's autonomy, he did not succeed. Her laughing at him, what, like, she decided to do that. She was an active participant in that scene. And yeah, it got her killed, but she made a decision between being his, like, slave, like Lucy and death in that moment i think and see i don't this is my thing with it and i do agree with the tropes donna brought up but my thing is you're calling your movie mandy and yet we get little bits about her and all she is is a catalyst like i mean she's pretty much she's almost that manic pixie dream girl because it's like oh she likes heavy metal oh she's this she you know and i just yeah i don't call it Mandy. That's my whole thing. Cause I don't, oh, no, I don't know. No. I don't her think her artwork, she, her artwork is the backdrop for the rest of the movie. I don't, I don't think she was that. And, and what do we know about Mandy? We know that she doesn't engage in random small talk. We know that she had an abusive father. Yeah. Like we don't like if they'd have called it something else, like, I don't know, but she's basically, I looked at her. She's just a catalyst. That's all she is. Like she wasn't, I mean, and it's like you, like Donna said, she's got little things that we learn about her, but I just, yeah, I don't, I think that's one of the reasons why I wasn't about it. But I know her artwork is in there. I mean, I we see it because there was a, there's a little final scene after all the credits and it's just her artwork with, uh, at the end. Yeah. I, I, I only watch- saw that because, um, when I finished the movie, I normally, I don't watch the credits, but I, like, I fast forward to the end. So it's not like listed on my do you want to continue this movie thing and when i fast forwarded to the end it showed the little thumbnail of the art and i was like what's that so i went otherwise i wouldn't have even known that was there but i wish I, I, now i wish i hadn't watched this drunkish <laughs> I, think, I think there was a lot i didn't pick up on i did really love that her artwork um kind of made the uh tone what am i trying to say the the atmosphere the ambiance Mm -hmm. of the rest of the movie um and that that scene where he's he's looking at her from behind and then she slowly turns and then she's got the zombie face that was that was good yeah yeah the animation you kind of mentioned it that definitely kind of had a heavy metal feel to it like the animation intercut so do we, let's do we want to start talking about Jeremiah and his cult his uh death cl- his deathhead cult or whatever they were called them or the black skulls yeah let's oh, talk yeah. about one of the other uh yeah well i mean they kind of go hand in hand the black skulls and and his okay. death cult let's start with the cult i suppose so was lucy pregnant the first time we saw her or was that just oh, her I dress i think it was just her dress okay okay then that takes away something that I thought I saw, which I was going to be like, oh, that's super messed up. Yeah, Uh, I didn't. Uh, Go ahead. The movie takes place in 1983, and the cult, I think, seems to be based pretty heavily on a lot of the weirdness of the 70s, and she was dressed in a very sort of like baby doll 70s-type dress. Yeah. Yeah, she looked like one of the Manson uh manson girls like just with and that was probably the point like with that with that dress no because at first and and it's not until later that when they talk about it i thought 
she was pregnant and the thing that they had given the the bikers was her aborted baby and that's what it was they were drinking so that's why i was like oh that's fucked up <laughs> in regards to and i probably should have mentioned this earlier when, when we were talking about mandy's death but um i wasn't 100 percent certain when it was happening that it was actually mandy because she you know was in the bag um and so i was like okay this is gonna i was kind of waiting for a reveal at the end of oh no mandy's still alive um because we didn't actually see her die uh yeah right up until the the end credits i still was kind of expecting to see mandy again so back to the cult oh yeah, yeah the cult yeah <laughs> my bad i kind of got us off there so y'all um, had, okay y'all had talked about the um dang it what was her name the younger girl in the lucy lucy, lucy yeah and the the older woman, I loved her look. I I really, mm. she looked she mm, looked really cool. And at times, did she guys remind you of like a a very older Denise Crosby? Like there were sometimes like I had to like my brain was like that's just Denise Crosby in a wig. Like Wait, I had remind me who Denise Crosby is. Tasha Yar. Tasha Yar. Oh oh, I'd have to go back and look. I was thinking more Joan Allen. I mean, I didn't think she was Joan Allen, but she had more of a Joan Allen feel to me. I can see, yeah. Joan, Joan Allen kind of plays characters like her, so I can I can see that, Donna. Yeah. Now, she wasn't cool at all, but yeah. she looked super cool. Yeah. I think it was interesting that all of the cults had very light-colored hair, while Mandy and Red both had really dark hair i hadn't noticed that i hadn't either that's interesting yeah they did yeah wow i don't know what it means but it feels like a deliberate decision well they were kind of masquerading in fact somebody even called them jesus freaks at some point um red did whenever he got went and got his crossbow the guy said what you hunting and red said jesus freaks and uh carruthers goes i didn't know they were in season that made me laugh so hard out loud. Like I, I, I just, I, that just cracked me up. Cause it's just, it was the delivery and just everything. But that, that found my funny bone. It's like, Oh man. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, they may have been playing on, you know, they presented themselves as a force of light, but they clearly were not. Uh, and so they're the, and they, they all wore pale clothes too. Um, except for the bikers, uh, they all wore pale colors. And so I think, I think there may have been some sort of thing going on with, um, them presenting themselves as good when in fact they weren't and the dark, in fact, Mandy, I I meant to mention, um, wardrobe earlier, you know, Mandy was not only always wearing rock and roll shirts, um, you know, concert t-shirts, but it was for, you know, like the Motley Crue had a pentagram on it. Uh, there was the Baps back, there was the black Sabbath shirt. So she, she wasn't just wearing rock and roll shirts. She was wearing satanic panic rock and roll shirts. Um, which I felt was a further contrast. In fact, she was always wearing dark colors. So Um, and in the fi- in one of the final scenes when Red finally um gets to Jeremiah, um Jeremiah is and Jeremiah says, Don't come in this room, God is present. Jeremiah has light all around him and Red is very much in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they did I, I do agree, Donna, with wardrobe and with the lighting choices. I mean, there were definitely some 
deliberate things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but yeah, with the, with the light and, but I hadn't noticed about the hair, but that is interesting. Yeah. I think Lucy was the darkest haired of them all. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. was still like what honey blonde. Yeah. If that. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Were the bikers demons or no? I think that in order to answer that question, you have to figure out how much of the world you think is real. Is this a modern day Ravenloft world in which things like the Horn of Abraxas and the blade from the Seventh Abyssal Lair actually exist? Or is the cult highly delusional and the bikers are just met like uh, drugged up bikers um, in order for them to just be drugged up bikers. And you have to assume that everything that happens past the point of red snorting the heroic amount of cocaine <laughs> After and drinking, that drinking LSD. <laughs> and drinking the rotten green LSD. Um, none of that is particularly real. There, but if you assume a, the Horn of Abraxas is real, then we are in Ravenloft and these bikers are demons. There is a really good argument to be made for the rest of the movie being drugged out because that wasn't that wasn't just some drugs. I mean, that was a pile of drugs. The, the guy was actually burying his face in a mound of powder. And that I think that that also lends credence to it not to, to it being supernatural because I don't not granted I've never done a pile of cocaine but I don't feel like you live very long after you <laughs> after you, you snore I like I just I can't even comprehend how much of that red snorted because it was what he picked up from the large pile was a several inch tall pile <laughs> Mm-hmm. That he then just buried his nose in and deeply inhaled. Mm-hmm. And it is entirely possible that I have no idea what the recommended dose of cocaine is. But I feel like that <laughs> zero Connor, the, the recommended <laughs> dose of cocaine is zero. Our resident doctor. I think, I think medical professionals will agree with me on that one. <laughs> Oh, that's that's Dr. Donna stepping into her medical corner of saying zero. <laughs> uh, but yes, whatever whatever the dose should be, an inch tall pile on a piece of broken glass is definitely not it. I saw at least two inches, Donna. It was it was a pile. It was I just definitely saw a it was it was literally more cocaine than I have ever seen portrayed in any movie ever. <laughs> I like to think that it was real just because otherwise he didn't really get his revenge on Jeremiah and them. I like to think it was real just because I love the idea of the world. Also because I don't think that normal people have crossbows that they store with old friends. Like the fact that he had this crossbow and he went to somebody else that he went to Carruthers to go get it. And then Carruthers not only had the crossbow, but then also these, uh, for lack of a better word, masterwork armor or arrows. Um, 
that he specifically said would go through bone and stuff, that feels like a magic weapon. And then Red, who all we know about him right now is that he's a lumberjack. Is he a lumberjack? He cuts down trees. That's a lumberjack. Yeah, he's right? lumberjack I don't know. If- so, okay. <laughs> I don't think he's okay, Deb. he's a lumberjack he's not okay (laughs) um but then he goes off and he forges a fucking silver axe to go fight (laughs) demons like that's not normal lumberjack shit and that leads me to believe that he is in fact living in ravenloft because he knows what to do and then he fucking does it since I just came out of Medical Corner, let me step back into Medical Corner for a moment and say another really good argument for none of the rest of the movie being real is he got stabbed in the gut with a knife. Okay. And I, I would say that left a good solid three inch um, hole in his abdomen. And here's the thing. You can't stand up without your abdominal muscles. You certainly can't swing an axe without your abdominal muscles. If you've got a three-inch long hole in your abdominal wall, you are not swinging an axe at anybody. So, Not even from the opposite side? like Not even. Oh, okay. <laughs> not even. Uh, so the fact that he was able to go on a death rampage after being stuck in the gut um, makes me think that not real we didn't actually see the wound though right that happened no, off screen. no we saw it no. yeah oh, okay there was the a very slow shot of it going in and coming out in fact i expected to see a twist that was there was such a close-up on the wound that i thought he was going to twist it coming out that was some uh some jesus symbolism going on with him because when they did that he was he had his hands tied up over his head which uh-huh. you know is is how they crucified some back in the day you know, he had the barbed wire, you know, so the thorns, uh, and then he got stabbed in the side. Mm-hmm. Well, even, and Jeremiah mentions it as he's, as he stabs him, he talks about Jesus in that moment. He's, mm-hmm. I can't remember what he says, but he's actually uh, talking about him and saying, this is why the crucifixion happened or something along those lines. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was definitely intentional. And I like the idea that this is actually really happening, that this is a fantastical world because, I mean, he's basically on the hero's quest and he's got to get his weapons from, you know, from his friend that he had stopped, you know, the fantastical life, if you will, and tried to settle down. And now he's got to bring it back up again. I just recently read Battle Chasers and this is like such a garrison thing that happens. So, uh... (laughs) Does that make Mandy his father figure? I wouldn't say that because she's really not that in the fantasy quests, you know. I'm just making it I'm just making a joke about the hero's journey. Oh, okay. He has, right. he has to meet his father figure, learn from his father figure, and then his father figure gets killed. So further on the Jesus metaphor there, um, he is wrapped up with barbed wire, and while it is not around his head, it is around his mouth and his wrists. And then later on, whenever he first attempts to go after the Black Skulls, they nail his hand to the floor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is true. So there also seemed to be some sort of, speaking of wardrobe, there seemed to be something about tigers and red. Um, You know, he wore a tiger shirt through most of the movie. And then the tiger that was in the chemist's... um, 
place didn't attack him. So there was some sort of tiger analogy going on there that I didn't quite understand. The tiger in the chemist place was originally supposed to be a lizard. That's why her name is Lizzie. <laughs> but I think I think I read that the day they were shooting, uh, the guy was just like, oh, by the way, it's a tiger now. Huh. All right. Cool. Well, the guy that played the chemist, was that Rorschach from Watchmen? Nope, that is... Uh, let me... I will give you... Watchmen. His, it's not Rorschach. Yeah, it's not Rorschach. It is... Uh, oh, man. He's he's now a Rob Zombie staple, is uh, <laughs> is who it is. Uh, he's been... Because he did 31, and he did uh, Three from Hell with Zombies, so he's kind of in Rob Zombie's actor wheelhouse now. Give me just a second, and I'll... Uh, I'll have him. I'll tell you who he is. But he's he was in also the very first season of Game of Thrones. He played the Night King for that season. Mm. Um, Richard Brake is who his name is. But yeah, he's uh, he's now one of Zombie's uh, actors, if you will. Gotcha. Zombie has worked with with him a couple times. And so, did Red kill him or no? I don't think so. Because he seemed like you know. When Red went down there, he was like sympathetic to Red and was like, "Oh, they, you know, they did something bad to you, you know." I don't, like he didn't seem malicious. I don't think Red killed him. I think that perhaps if the chemist had not released the tiger, Red would have. Um, I don't know why. I think that is just the impression I get. Uh, but I, I don't think that Red killed him, and and it probably did have a lot to do with the way that he behaved because he did entirely validate everything that red was feeling yeah he validated um, it and he was helpful so yeah i i do agree i don't think red killed him and i think freeing the tiger at the end was the you know the icing on the cake if you will he kind of made me think with what he said that he that he thought maybe the because he was the chemist so he was part of the cult i suppose um but maybe he thought their mission was something different than what they actually did um, whenever they talk about the chemist and the drugs, they say it was a bad batch. And then he he does mention to uh, whenever Red gets in there, when she's calm about the tiger, I know it was good. Which made me think that first off, he's testing his drugs on a tiger, which seems like a huh. bad plan in general. Um, if I was going to test my drugs on an animal, I wouldn't choose a tiger. Um, I mean, one, I wouldn't. But two, yeah, maybe go with like a Maltese. A toy cup, a, a, a teacup chihuahua. Oh no, uh, they're vicious. They're vicious. They'll eat you alive. Uh, but <laughs> a ragdoll cat, maybe. Uh, but yeah, something, something that generally can't kill me. A bunny. <laughs> a bun. No, bunnies can be mean. <laughs> Debbie's like, no, not the bunny. Not bunny. No. Maybe a pug. Well, there is the Monty Python bunny, so maybe that's why we have the Monty Python bunny. A pug, for sure. <laughs> they would just sleep through it all. <laughs> See, that's exactly it. If it was bad, I'd be like, oh, she's awake. Okay. But not a tiger. So uh, I think that he did have, if he was to blame for the black skulls, which I'm not sure that he was because he didn't super acknowledge that in, in his monologue that I recall right now. Mm, I don't think so. No. Uh-uh. Um, then I don't think that it was on purpose. And I think that he was probably sending Red out with his blessing to deal with it. Well, he yeah, almost, yeah, because he told him where to find him. Yeah. Well, he was more an oracle figure. The chemist was like he's he's sending him out. You know, this is where you need to go. Uh, you know, and he 
he acknowledged and validated Red's pain and that it was wrong. But I think I think the black skulls were already rotten. I mean, obviously. So the bad batch of LSD, I don't know, made them Cenobites. <laughs> they really were Cenobites. Yeah. Like this, like the first time you see them and some of them in the shadow, I'm like, I'm like squinting like, I think that's a Cenobite. I'm pretty sure. I, I think one of them <laughs> legitimately looked like Pinhead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But Sorry, it was, Billy, that's why this burped. is the Hellraiser edition of Fortune Fire. <laughs> but it was the 80s, so they were not nearly as, as thin and refined a, yes. a set of pens. They were much thicker. Because I'm 99% sure the one that was, that had the, the nails in him, like when you see him later, like, was I the only one that thought his blade was a dick? Or his dick was a blade. No, you are not the only one. <laughs> okay. It was that was on purpose. Okay. When he, yeah. Whenever he's killing Red, um, or whenever he's trying, yeah. he's not succeeding. Whenever he's trying to kill Red, um, and it and like the way that they have them positioned, Red is on his back and the biker is between his legs, and it looks very, very much like a rape scene with yeah. the way that they have it jabbing, thrusting. Into and the even ground. even the the noises they were making. Mm-hmm. Okay, can so we then, talk about Nicolas Cage for a minute? Sure, let's talk about Cage. I really love him. Like, <laughs> I know that this is possibly an unpopular opinion, but I just think he's like, I just love the way that he commits for sure to his roles and the bathroom scene in this movie is like. It was that amazing. Was yeah. yeah. Going going from sobbing to screaming in rage to just screaming and chugging vodka and standing there in his underwear. I don't yes. know what happened to his no pants, pants, but but he, he, he was, was asleep. Yeah, yeah, he and Mandy were asleep. He never had pants. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Good point. Um yeah, but yeah, Nick Cage is a um he is a unique and special gift given to this world. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite movies in this world is Face Off. I love it so much. It's just over the top and dumb, but I love it. And him, Nicolas Cage, pretending to be John Travolta, um, is just... Don mm. <laughs> <laughs> is doing the chef kiss motions over here. So that's... Face Off. It's, yeah. I agree. Nick Cage is is a gift to this world. I actually haven't seen that many Nick Cage movies. Like I'm I'm trying to list them now. So so my first exposure was Con Air. Um, there was a movie I think called was it Holiday Man or something? It was Family Man. Family, Family Man. Man. It was yeah. like a Christmassy movie, or it was in the winter or something. And then National mm-hmm. Treasure, uh, City of Angels, and I ha- I know I haven't seen Face Off. I'm trying to remember. Have you seen Raising uh, Arizona? Uh, yeah, I don't remember much from it. Arizona. Leaving Arizona. Las Vegas, I haven't seen. Living in Las Vegas, whatever that one's called. Just make sure Leaving you Las find. Vegas. Yeah, it's make sure the saddest movie I've ever seen. Mm. Really? It's yeah. <laughs> okay, that's what I've heard about that movie. I haven't seen it, but what Adrian just said—that is what I know of that film. Like sadder than just... Fox and the Hound, or like. <laughs> uh. I mean, it's an entire movie about a guy who decides to drink himself to death. Oh, okay. Don't go. <laughs> I was just going to say, make sure you put Face Off on your list. Oh, yeah. Face Okay. Putting it down. 
Uh, I would like to also add, I'm looking up the title because I always mix up the words, uh, Vampire's Kiss. That's a pretty good one. It is probably my favorite, and it goes right along with like Unreliable Narrator. Which, speaking of Unreliable Narrator, I like that the camera in this movie is our Unreliable Narrator. It is. You're, you're never sure in this movie what you're seeing, if it's real or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the way that things shift, like whenever we are, whenever, I keep wanting to call him Julian. What the fuck? <laughs> Jeremiah <laughs> is delivering his um, pickup line <laughs> to Mandy. And it's like that two minute long monologue where he's just staring into the camera, but the camera keeps shifting so that it overlays Mandy's face on his. That, that was, was really cool. so weird. The first time it happened, I was like, whoa, what is, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Yeah, the first time, I, I, for a while, I was just like, something is wrong with his eyes. And that was like the thing that kept standing out to me. We should talk about Jeremiah's song. I was going to say, well, let's, I think this is our segue into Jeremiah. I think <laughs> from the, the song to him in general. That was a, like the first time I watched this movie, it didn't strike me how really fucking awful that song was. It's a truly terrible song. I had the subtitles on, so I, I got to the full experience with that I, song. <laughs> yeah, I I did not watch this movie with subtitles the first time. And this time I was like, oh, as a treat to myself. <laughs> um, and yeah, like it kind of, the first time I watched it, it just sounded very like a generic folk song to me, which was fine. You know, I don't have a problem with folk music. But this time I was just struck at how really awful they managed to make that like Ren Faire loot <laughs> <laughs> they did <laughs> um, and like like as as a person who goes to the rent fairs and g- like genuinely enjoys the shows and the music there and has occasionally even purchased the albums and listened to them of my own free will later that was awful it was the most skillfully done terrible music i've ever listened to <laughs> i like though they did kind of set you up, not in a, they, you know, when he's talking to her and he's like, Hey, Oh, you like the carpenters. And I'm like, okay, so it's going to be carpenter esque. Then it just goes off the rails. I'm like, Oh no, it is not carpenter esque. This is bad. This is when he said, um, do you like the carpenters? I started going through in my head, the not very long, long list of carpenter songs that I can name trying to come up with which one would be appropriate to this scene. And then it wasn't, it wasn't the carpenters. It was, it was a disappointment. I mean, well, And then to have him in his monologue, talk about how he was, uh, how, how they missed out <laughs> and God told him that they were wrong. And I was just, it, uh, it is such the height of white, man like like cis het white male fragility is is exactly jeremiah's character yeah Mm -hmm. for sure down to the fact that he does not even know mandy he just literally sees her and decides that he wants her and he even says like god told me i can take anything that's mine and it's all mine And, and and yeah he doesn't know anything about her he just decides that she's the one 
And speaking speaking of Jeremiah's unearned confidence, um, how about that full frontal? Damn, I was I mean, not unabashed, <laughs> unabashed, full frontal. Here, here I am. I think my note about that is oh, actually, my note because I was not expecting it. Whoa, cult leader just pulled his dick out, and yeah, I, I don't understand why you're surprised about that. <laughs> you know at three something in the afternoon if you're not mentally prepared to see a dick and you're you know you're you're just you're not there and so you're you're kind of doing your own thing watching it taking your notes and then there's dick you know it kind of you're not expecting it i mean and Kenzie, then, honestly this is clearly meant to be a midnight movie this is your own fault for watching it at three <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon i might have not been ready at midnight <laughs> it was it was uh you know it was not uh, it was not wanted, <laughs> which I can go with the whole scene. I think that that's the entirely the point. Like that's an unsolicited dick pic right there. It, it was. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, there's definitely things with Jeremiah that, as we're talking about it, he is definitely very Manson esque. Like with the failed music career, like that is like woo woo woo. Yeah, it, he, I think that the director writer whose name I have entirely forgotten for some reason, even though it's a super crazy name that I should not have forgotten. Uh, Cosmatos. Yeah. Panos Cosmatos. Um, I think he, he straight up said that it's, that they're very much based on, or that Jeremiah was very much based on Manson. Uh, He also said that when making this movie, he really wanted to bring in that, that 80s feel which i think he did well but he talked a lot about beastmaster and how <laughs> okay yeah okay and and how as a kid even the beastmaster poster let me find the quote cuz it's a really great quote um he said even about the beastmaster poster but like this trailer he said that's a fucking dangerous adult thing it's not meant for me and that's what he wanted to make this movie everything about this movie feel like mm. He, he did succeeded. A good, yeah, he did. He did a good job. He he succeeded. Now I'm sitting there trying to remember the Beastmaster poster because I love Beastmaster. <laughs> Was Beastmaster the one with Mark Singer and the two ferrets? Yep. I wanted to have. I wanted to talk to all the animals like Beastmaster. So, Carrot, ferrets are such heroes in, when they appear in movies, like They're, Kindergarten Cop, which should be named Ferret Saves the Day. <laughs> <laughs> Ferret saves the day. Ferret saves the day. I bite your face. I'm, I mean, and you can even see the similarities in the oh. two posters. Yeah, I can definitely see the similarities. I was also thinking of it had like a Suspiria feel, I guess, with the the score the really filters in yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, and the blood. Yeah, the was I Suspiria think, blood, and or it yeah. seemed like it to me. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't as orange, but yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, the, 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 the viscosity was... <laughs> oh, I just remembered the other thing that could lead, that you could say makes the rest of this movie suspect, is that when he kills that, the the blade dick biker, uh, the dude just bleeds into his mouth. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh God. Oh, yeah. Um, which reminds, like, that was a very zombie movie shot yeah. to have. Where you kill the zombie and then it just all in yeah. your mouth. Yeah. Um, so there were a lot of points at which he could have become very much like the bikers, which then explains why the axe or why 
the abdominal wound is no longer a fucking problem. Well, and his voice changes. Like at the end, it's doing mm-hmm. that reverb thing. I don't know if reverb is the right uh, multitonal. I don't know. Demonic. The, yeah. Demo- the digital demonic, demonic thing. <laughs> his voice is doing the same thing that the magical items do when they're put on screen, which is like flickering. Mm-hmm. Like, I did like that. Whenever the magical items are there, the the lights go weird, and then whenever one of the enchanted people are talking, their voice flickers. There needed to be a warning for people with seizure disorders because of the flashing lights in this movie. There was on Color Out of Space, right? Uh, yes, I feel like there was. Yeah. This I feel movie, like it was more so, though. Like, Color Out of Space had more of that going on, or more intense, anyway. Yeah, this, this movie was, was, like, pockets of it. Like, just a little bit here, a little bit there, where I remember Color Out of Space had long... Speaking of, like, the, the fights with the biker dudes, like, that was that was some decent fighting. Like, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it did some, not look fake. Yeah, there were some good stunts for it being, I don't want to say low budget, but for a unknown director and mm-hmm. script like they i mean he they, wasn't totally unknown oh yeah what is he, he known he did black rainbow which was kind of a big indie darling and oh, okay. um he black rainbow is essentially what helped get this movie made uh, the production company is specter vision which is elijah wood's production company yeah There's, i noticed his name in the credits for yeah. helping produce it i and he was on uh, shutters of the core talking about his uh, production company and i think he might have been it's been a while since i've seen his episode but i think he might have been talking about them making mandy when when it was on or that they had just finished it up that was one of the ones they were talking about um, but it was black rainbow that got this movie made because um cosmatos had trouble getting this movie made because he uh it's like trying to move into a rental property with a pit bull you got to be really really clear that people know what you have so that they don't get mad at you later uh, by the way, that's terrible. Pitbulls are great, um, but uh, he would he would basically like shop this movie to them and then be like like Black Rainbow, but and then people would be like, oh no, no, we're not doing that. And uh, and and a lot and Spectre Vision was the one that was like, yes, no, we're doing that. Do that, yes, exactly like that. Um, I want to talk. We before we started recording, I think we talked about Lucy and why Lucy didn't die. Let's talk about why Lucy survived this film. I think whenever we see the rest of the cult, whenever we're introduced to the other cult members early on, um, they're all active participants in what's happening. Um, whenever uh, Mandy is being burned, uh, we get a shot of each of their reactions. And um, they are gleeful or fascinated or whatever with the whole ordeal. But Lucy is crying in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, her introduction to Red is Jeremiah telling Red, you think you know what love is, this is real love, and then forcing Lucy to play Russian roulette in front of him. And then whenever he's going on his rampage later, as he encounters each of the cult members, they all approach him and like try to, they, they all become a threshold guardian. And Lucy's the only one that does not approach him. And when he looks at her, she cries. Yeah, he um, Red sees Lucy be a victim. Red does not see Lucy be um, a bad guy. Yeah, and yes, she she and 
back to Adrian's rather brilliant, brilliant um, observation about the hair. Lucy is the darkest haired of all of them. She is. I really Not like very the, dark, but <laughs> <laughs> I really like the inversion of the light and dark that they're doing yes, in this movie. Absolutely. Because we also do get a lot of scenes in the movie of Red and Mandy at night mm-hmm. or dusk. Wearing dark colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And Mandy's eyes. Mandy's eyes are so dark, big and dark. Even though they're blue, they are really dark. Are they doing something weird with one of her eyes? Yeah, I thought so. It seems like they've got a ring around it or something. Mm-hmm. And I tried to look that up, but I, uh, I couldn't find anything. It's really difficult to Google things about a movie called Mandy. Later, yeah. I decided it was like y'all were talking about seeing things, you know, not being able to trust the camera. And also that particular shot was from Jeremiah's point of view. Um, and he's off his rocker and maybe high and just, you know, not seeing things as they are. There's a shot of it. it happened. Yeah, except there's a shot of it early on when it's just her and Red talking. And then it just gives like an extended shot of her and her eyes. Strange. Oh, I didn't notice at that time, I guess. Yeah, they, there's some interesting things that they do with her eyes. And almost at times with the scar under one of them, they do some interesting visuals with it. Fun fact, uh, the Cheddar Goblins commercial <laughs> um, is directed by the same person that did Too Many Cooks on Adult oh. Swim. <laughs> I mean, the Cheddar, Go- the Cheddar Goblin commercial would have worked except for the puking. You just <laughs> puking in a food, food commercial? Yeah. <laughs> Well, keep in mind the Cheddar Goblins happens after the drugs. Uh, before the drugs, before, before the, the drugs. bathroom freakout, but after Mandy is dead. Yeah. So, you know, if you are of the mindset that this is real and not supernatural, that could be him just breaking. If you're of that mindset, that could mm-hmm. be just him. All, all of reality is gone. But that is yeah. One of the things that I think I really like about this movie is that it is super campy, but it's not trying to be funny about it. Like I, I don't think that you often find a movie this campy that is taking itself seriously. And when you do, it often doesn't work. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people that will say that it does not work here, but um, I, I think it does. I agree. I thought it did too. No, I, I think actually it does it does work. The uh, I, I was not thrilled with the fat phobia. I mean, there was just the one character. I don't think they called him anything but the porker. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have. And I was I was trying really hard to go. Well, that's something the bad guys do, so it is being portrayed as a bad thing. But there was no pushback against it the only thing that made it a bad thing was that the bad guys did it and um the camera was quite clearly being oh look at this fat guy isn't he funny because he's fat and um well he's also in a cult yeah i mean i just i just i didn't think it was necessary that's it not not a not a huge thing i didn't think it was necessary uh, I, I'll agree with you on that one. Um, but I mean, he was also a bad guy. He was a bad guy. Yes. Um, 
He looked a lot like the guy, if you guys have seen this movie, he looked a lot like the guy from Night of the Demons, one of the 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 demons that uh one of the people that turned into one of the demons from it. Like, I mean, just from how his face looked to his hair, I like, man, like when I saw him, I was like, Oh, and I can't remember his name in the film, but it's like, oh, that looks like that guy. There, I I think this goes in with the the troubling tropes that Donna brought up earlier, where there are definitely troubling tropes in here, um, and it's I, it's it's sort of difficult to know what to do with that because it feels like they're here on purpose. Like it's not it's not something that was done thoughtlessly, um, but I don't know if that necessarily makes it better or not um i think that probably a lot of it was done as homage to the movies that it is to the to the movies in the era that it is trying to invoke yeah Um, i think you're onto something because later on in the film when nicholas cage and one of the other cult members get into a chainsaw fight that mm -hmm. is texas chainsaw massacre 2 that's that is that right there, that's that's Dennis Hopper and Leatherface just just throwing down. So I think I do think you're onto something. It's just I don't know. Like with the the tropes, I mean, even being deliberate in what it's trying to invoke, it's uh, I don't know. I, yeah, like I, I I I am fully willing to admit that they that some of the tropes are problematic, um, and then being there on purpose doesn't necessarily make it better (laughs) (laughs) but it fits (laughs) but it fits yeah Yeah. like it it definitely does help to make this movie feel like something i would have accidentally watched on cinemax when i was supposed to be in bed so uh, kenzie you mentioned that the texas chainsaw massacre was the um the actual chain fight, like when Nick cage grabbed a chain was that also like a texas chainsaw massacre thing because i vaguely remember seeing I mean, there were chains, like, in the house, right, in that movie. And and initially, I thought it was just like, oh, here's a Ghost Rider reference. Yeah. But, because Nick Cage was Ghost Rider, and he, you know, whips his chains around. But See, that's actually where I went with the chains. Uh, So, was that, but I mean, you could also make the argument that the chains getting wrapped around his neck could be also Hellraiser-esque. Like, I mean, it's just depending on what you want to see. Yeah. no, it was actually just the chainsaws that really got the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 reference. The Hellraiser chains had hooks on them. Yeah. Like I said, it was a stretch and I knew it was a stretch. Like it just depends on what you want to want to make with it. I do want to talk about that chainsaw fight though mm-hmm. because that dude pulling out the like <laughs> Master sword. This is a knife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like it's like the the fucking Buster Sword of chainsaws. It made me think of um like Final Fantasy, the gigantic. You know, I haven't yeah. played Final Fantasy, so I don't know the names of. No, the yeah, Buster Sword. Oh, that's is that Claude's, what it is? Okay. Yeah, that's Claude's giant sword, and yeah, it Claude, like yeah. just pulling it out and how it kept going. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Like that chainsaw scene was just absolutely glorious, and I yeah. loved every second of it. Yeah, oh. man, like how long they stayed on that guy, like when he fell on the chainsaw, and they just like shot that whole like it just went on and on and on and on. Yeah, See, that's Evil Dead. That's Evil Dead, <laughs> but just how long it stayed on and the level of blood there, like that's, yeah. you know, 
Aftermath is Evil Dead. <laughs> there, there were a lot of very Evil Dead Ash-esque shots <laughs> of um, Nicolas Cage with the blood all over his face. Where, um, like, yeah. it, 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 just the framing and everything was exactly perfectly Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Um, I like one of the things I really liked about that chainsaw fight is, is how it felt like a sword fight. Yeah, I, I made a note that, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I feel like Nick Cage only went to about an eight on the Nick Cage scale. Why, except for one minute at the end in the car where he turns and sees Mandy sitting there and then it, it shoots back to him and he's doing this like crazy grin face. So that was like maybe a nine. But like, so, so, but for me, like I said, he only went to about an eight on the Nick Cage scale, but the script went to an 11 on the Nick Cage scale. Like, you know, you, I, I kind of see where you're coming from, but not for me, this was full Nick Cage. This was 100% <laughs> Nick Cage for a good chunk of the movie. <laughs> I'll, say I, I'll say he started at a, at a six, but then after Mandy's death, he was at an 11 and well, the I movie think, already but, started at an 11 so. Yeah, well, he, to me, it was, it was maybe less on the scale because it was, it wasn't like an insane, like crazy, I mean, yes, he was hopped up on drugs and stuff, but he, it was like a righteousness to what he was doing, you know, a righteous vengeance or whatever. And so it was like justified. It's, it's the unjustified crazy to me that makes it go to, makes it go higher. Um, okay, so okay. so the fact that what he was doing was a reasonable response to the yes. stimulus makes yeah. you say it didn't it's hit less, yeah, eleventy. Okay, yes. <laughs> I also think that since this movie was so this movie that it helped a lot. It's like Elton John wearing a sequin feathered cape. Yes, like that works because. That's exactly what he should be wearing. This movie is exactly what Nicolas Cage should be in. There's nobody else that can do this and not be eaten alive by the movie. Yeah, right. I, I definitely agree with that. I don't think you. I don't think any actor could play Red with this movie. I think there is a a certain level that you need, and I think I think Cage is it. I think other people could have played the part, but it would have been a very different movie yes. with someone not Nick Cage. Like I said, I think it would have eaten them. I think they would have drowned in this movie. Yeah. It needed the Nick Cage. But you, you know, you just, you, I, we already talked about liking Nick Cage. You just got to admire his commitment to whatever whatever he's doing. He fully commits. I think okay. that's... Yeah, he embraces it. Whatever it is, he's there. The the yeah. his willingness to look ridiculous is so good. Like I don't think that you get that bathroom scene without Nick Cage just being like, "All right, I might look like an idiot, but I'm trusting my director right now." That was that was honestly that scene was one of the most real things. Like yeah. I felt that scene. Like I yes may have experienced I, that. I feel I feel like, like <laughs> I feel like Nick looked at the director and said, dude, just turn the camera on. Yeah. Just just turn the camera on and walk away. I'll let you know when I'm done. Yeah. I think that, that scene, was extreme grief, extreme rage, like all of the things. Mm -hmm. yeah. Extreme think, cage. <laughs> <laughs> that scene definitely reminds you why well, I mean why he has a reputation that he does, that he is a 
a very talented actor. That yeah. scene, uh, you know, that reminds you of that. Yeah. All right. All right. I have one more. Can I, can I be that person? I have one more thing. Of course. Of course. On, um, so at the end where he's, he's come upon the, uh, I forget her name, the white haired lady. Um, and she wants to basically say, if you'll spare me, I'll fuck you. And kind of the same thing with Jeremiah. Even he was just like, I'll suck your dick. Like, is that what you want? And I'm like, are y'all so fucking out of touch that you would think like, why? I, I didn't <laughs> look at him. Does that look like what he's after in this moment? Right. Well, it's just like, Read you the are room. the people that did this. You murdered his love. And why would he, you know, I don't know. That just, it, it just seems very, um, but yeah, I was just like, I don't know. It was weird to me that they were like, oh, this will make it better. I'll suck your dick. It'll be fine. Uh-huh. I think if we go on with the religious aspects, then essentially what that is, is sort of like the temptation. They are trying to tempt him towards this generally thought of to be sinful thing. Um, And sinful, not just in that it's like sex, but it's completely loveless purpose. Like there's no, there's no feeling here. There's no emotion there. Mm. Like um, the woman, what is her name? Uh, Doesn't, doesn't love him oh mother marlene yeah like mother marlene doesn't have like she doesn't even like him there's nothing there um she's literally just trying to do that to get him oh to keep him away from jeremiah and then when jeremiah is like i'll suck your dick he's just panicking yeah like that is full-on like how do i not die he was doubting himself he was doubting himself (laughs) (laughs) okay that's Um, all that's all i had (laughs) All right. The the silent credits, I think, were a really, really good touch. They don't have any music or anything at all. And after such, like, a rich soundscape in the movie, um, I feel like, it. to me, it definitely left me feeling like there's nothing after. It it fed into the idea that, that Red is... Red is done. He he is a destroyed character. He died when Mandy died, and the the silence in the credits is just literally what happens after he's done with his revenge quest. I like that take. All right, I want to do one more shout out to Red lighting the joint on the burning head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was a cigarette, um, but whatever. Um, Actually, you know, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because there were there were a couple of shots of him taking his cigarette out of his mouth and just throwing it into the woods. And um, each I time he that, did it, it really bothered. <laughs> I assume they don't live in Oklahoma. Yeah, <laughs> the state would burn down if you did that. Every time he did it, it really bothered me. But then the second time he did it, I was like, "Oh, that's going to be an end shot." He's He's gonna he's gonna light someone on fire by throwing a cigarette at them, and it didn't. I was like, there's there's Chekhov's gun, and it's still laying there on the table at the end of Act Three, and I was a little disappointed in that. Oh, but actually, replying to the thing you said, you can't light a cigarette without drawing on it. You can stick its end in the fire all you want, but you've got to draw on it if you're gonna light it. So it was cool. It was it was cool AF. It just doesn't work. You just can't do it that way. I think that a lot, like it was, it was meant to look cool. It was meant to look like a heavy metal album cover. Yeah, it succeeded in that. It just had me going back there, going, nah, 
That cigarette's not lit. This movie looks like what heavy metal sounds like. Very much. Very much. So, RuPaul quote. All right. Um, Adrian, you have our quote. Mm. Uh, should I give the backstory on the quote or just give the quote? Give the quote. Give the quote, then give the backstory. When I die, bury me deep. Lay two speakers at my feet. Put some headphones on my head and rock and roll me when I'm dead. Um, and that's from that, that, that's from a title card at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, and the quote comes from Douglas Roberts, who was put. That was part of his last word. He was executed. He was put to death uh, in Texas after um, stealing a car and stabbing the driver. Uh, he was also smiling and mouthing the words, I love you to all of his friends watching through the window when the drugs began to take effect. All right. And I have our rule, which is don't join a cult. This is one of those movies where uh, the good guys couldn't have done anything. The good guys, the protagonists could not have done anything. They didn't do anything wrong. Right. Um, and so then it becomes, well, how do you not die otherwise? And the answer is don't be the bad guys. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you realize you're in a cult, call your dad. <laughs> call your dad. You're in a cult. Yeah. <laughs> Stay sexy. Don't get murdered. <laughs> Stay out of the forest. <laughs> That's actually what I wrote down from earlier when we were discussing. It. We were like, well, they didn't. You know, Mandy didn't do anything wrong, and I was like, the only thing I can come up with is don't live in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Owen oh, Debbie, you have our poll. Oh yeah, what's your favorite planet? <laughs> Um, Mars is my favorite planet. I'm an Aries, therefore I am ruled by Mars. I do not believe in astrology, but there you have it. Also, it's red. <laughs> also, it's red. Also, it's red. That's it. That's it. I really like Mars, too. Um, also, because it's red, but also, I really love the Rob Zombie song, Mars Needs Women. And he's talking about Mars <laughs> Needs Angry Red Women. I'm like, fuck yeah, you, they do, Rob. So, that's why I like Mars. <laughs> Galactus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can I guess mine in, is Billy. kind of oh. <laughs> I guess mine is kind of uh a toss up between Saturn and Jupiter which which is actually the wasn't that the two planets that they had discussed yeah, or something. Yeah. Um but she picked Jupiter because of the storm and he picked yeah. Saturn until he changed it to Galactus. Mm. Well, and I, I think it just comes from, you know, growing up in in like elementary school and when i was first being exposed to spacey stuff um you know those were the the two planets that i think were featured the most i guess because you know jupiter is the biggest and it is the the angriest you know storm-wise and you know saturn always just looked very like cool and chill and had the rings and so it was you know unique in that way so i would have i'd have to say you know one of those two i guess but i can't really pick which one it depends on what day you ask me maybe Saturn's pretty close. Saturn's Saturn, cool. Saturn's the one with all the moons, isn't it? Moon, no, that's right. Jupiter. Yeah, Jupiter, Jupiter has, has all the moons. moons. Okay. Saturn has all the rings. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate your support. Uh, you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter, at Beyond Cabin. Uh, Debbie, we have an Instagram page. She runs it. She yeah, uh, beyond the cabin in the woods. And then we have a Facebook page, which is beyond the cabin in the woods. Our webpage is beyond the cabin in the woods.com. Uh, if you're wanting to follow any of us on social media, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, both Callista 77. 
I'm Sooner DVM on uh, Twitter and Donna underscore Leahy on Instagram. I'm not real active on either platform, but I would love to have you. Uh, you can find me um, at Junkyard Poet on Twitter um, or splatterhouse5.com. My Debbie, how can we find you on the social medias? Oh, that's just, just mine's just the Instagram, the, you know, All right. the, uh, be on the Cabin in the Woods Instagram. Okay. And we are part of the Gumby Cat Network. So thank you so much, Gumby Cat. Definitely check them out. (laughs) And as always, thank you so much to our editor, Billy, who makes us sound fantastic and professional. Love you, Billy. Yep. Billy (laughs) Bond. Oh, and don't read the Latin. Do you know what horror is? Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people.